Hi, and welcome to Beyond Prisons, a podcast on incarceration and prison abolition. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Wilson. For this episode, Brian and I sat down with Anthony Williams to talk about co-founding the hashtag Masculinity So Fragile, leveraging social capital online, how their political consciousness evolved over time, and overcoming isolation through reading. Anthony talks about cultivating joy as we live with trauma and tells us why we should all read Pleasure Activism by Adrian Marie Brown. Anthony James Williams is a Black queer non-binary writer, sociology PhD student, and facilitator. Online, they're responsible for co-creating and popularizing the hashtags Masculinity So Fragile and Black Women Did That. Offline, their prior Black student organizing led the University of California system to divest $25 million from private prisons in 2016. You can find them online at Anthony's, A-N-T-H-O-K-N-E-E-S, or antjwilliams.com. We hope you enjoy this episode. I think a natural place to start would just be to kind of set the table a little bit for the conversation. And, you know, certainly Kim and I are familiar with your work. I've uh, read over a lot of your work, especially in in, uh, preparing for our conversation today. But for people who are listening who may not be familiar with your work, I was wondering if you could just kind of tell folks a little bit about yourself, your areas of interest and focus in your scholarship, maybe some a little bit about what you've been working on recently. Um, I think that would be a, a good place to start. Yeah, definitely. Um, thank you all for having me. It's a wonderful podcast, and I'm a fan of both of y'all, so it's great oh, to, to be here. And, yeah, I do, I do a lot, which feels, like, weird to say because I also feel like I don't do enough slash that much. But when I think about it, like, for things like this, I, and I have to summarize, I'm like, oh, there's actually many things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm currently a third-year PhD student, um, sociology PhD student. I um, got involved in organizing when I was uh, in undergrad at UC uh, Berkeley, and that started with student organizing. I worked with the African Black Coalition, and we got the University of California system um, to divest $25 million from uh, investments in private prisons. So that was like pretty phenomenal. Um, that happened back in 2016. 16, I believe. Um, and that kind of changed my scholarship before I was looking at social movements. Um, after that, uh, I started to look more toward prisons. Um, so now my, my scholarly interests are in race, um, urban spaces, and prisons, incarceration broadly. Um, so I write, um, I teach, I facilitate, uh, and I am a student. So I read a lot. Um, I write some less now. It's weird being a PhD student, but <laughs> I, I write less now. And then currently, um, I haven't been involved in any like direct organizing in the last like two years since I two and a half years since I got into grad school. I've it's like tried a little, and it's been very difficult for a number of reasons we can talk about. But um, I haven't been directly organizing. I've been using Twitter a lot um, to boost. Uh, to learn, to share, to teach. Uh, and then I also, um, I just finished my prospectus, uh, which is basically what I'm planning to do for my dissertation. Um, I finished a draft of it, rather. So that uh, went to my advisor uh, yesterday, actually, and that's looking at uh, the way that correctional officers um, justify the use of solitary confinement. Um, within mm. California state prison. Um, so I was not born in California, but I spent most of my life here in California. Um, and I've gone to public schools my whole life. So although many are prestigious, right, like UC Berkeley, they're all still public schools. Um, and so when I was like trying to decide for my dissertation job topic, one of the things I, I committed to is doing it here in California and about California. Um, so I think that gives a, an okay summary of, of many of the things that I do um, and a place to start. Fantastic. And um, I think you and I connected on Twitter, I think it was 2015, right? Maybe maybe. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, I, I know I've been tweeting a lot about, you know, um, 
prisons at that time. And that's right around the time that uh, he started the hashtag um, masculinity so fragile. Um, and uh, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? I, I'm sure you get this question like a thousand times, but uh, we haven't discussed this on the podcast and uh, you are the best person to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I so masculinity so fragile, I started tweeting about um, after seeing Feminista Jones, um, a user on Twitter, was posting about uh, violence that happened against women, um, all for basically saying no, right? Denying a man um, something, sometimes uh, a hello, sometimes a text back, sometimes access to their bodies. Um, and after seeing it, I, I kind of went on a little uh, rant where I started tweeting about like gendered violence, gender-based violence, and eventually I started talking about the fragility of masculinity and, and hashtag the masculinity so fragile. Um, it blew up and it's, it's really wild now because there's a lot of people who may not have heard of the hashtag off of Twitter, but have noticed the dialogue um, around gender-based violence has shifted a lot to toxic masculinity. So within academic spaces, we would talk about toxic masculinity and hegemonic masculinity, but it wasn't necessarily in the mainstream in the same way in those terms, right? We were always talking about how men can be really violent. But um, from masculinity so fragile, it kind of shifted the, the, the dialogue. Um, and Puppy Dog Express is another user who actually tweeted it before I did, um, but in a different, like in a more joking manner. Um, she was talking about men, men being fragile. Um, and this was like, I don't know if it was a year or two years before I did, but, uh, so anytime I talk about masculinity so fragile, I also make sure to give her a little shout out because, um, although I popularized it and thought I created it, you know, I, I, I now say that I co-created it because it was mm -hmm. her who, who originally tweeted it. And then, uh, I tweeted it and then it, it popped off. So masculinity so fragile is, um, it's a trip because the 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 amount of in terms of algorithm right so it was a bunch of black feminists who retweeted it and they got onto other people's timelines um, people who had larger followings than i did and then it was also a bunch of people from gamergate who were upset mm -hmm. about me calling uh masculinity fragile and so they actually made it a larger thing so i dealt mm -hmm. with a bunch of you know um bs from that uh a bunch of uh lovely lovely messages um in my inbox but also just a lot of like empty threats too so it's the internet's a wild place but long story short um that came from my own experiences of being i don't identify as cis now i identify as non-binary but at the time i identified as a cis man and when i went to south africa i was studying abroad um, while i was an undergrad I was able to not ever forget about my race, but I was able to blend in in a different way than I ever have in California, where there's only 6% of the population that is black, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so when I was in, in Cape Town, even though it's one of the wider cities, I was thinking a lot less about race in traditional ways um, and thinking about nationalism and other things and ethnicity. But then I was also thinking a lot more about gender because it, I, I started to notice how much more, you know, it took me until I was what, like 24, right? And, mm -hmm. and not to say I was unaware before, but I, my, my shift in consciousness didn't really happen until I was, I was there and I would see a homegirl go to the club and come back home and tell me how she got punched in the club because she said no to a man, right, who's like trying to touch her. And I would walk home with people and if I walked home with them at 2 a.m., um, we were able to walk home and it was fine, right, but I knew that my homegirls could not do that, like, if they weren't with me. And then even when they were with me, we got harassed one time and had to, like, go into a coffee shop. So all these, like, incidents, uh, it was impossible to ignore in a way that I think a lot of cis men um, get away with, right? Like, it's like, well, it's, I've never seen it, you know, or it's, it's, I've only read mm -hmm. about it. And it's like, when it happens to you in person or to someone close to you, uh, it, it takes a lot of willful ignorance to act like something's not happening. Um, mm -hmm. So that's how a lot of like, I, you know, I'm, I'm verified on Twitter, which is like a weird thing, um, because like most people verified on Twitter are a hot mess. Um, <laughs> verified on Twitter. Um, I have a that, fair amount of followers. <laughs> yeah, no, the blue check mafia is like a mess. It's a mess. Um, so even being associated with it is like a, it's a strange thing. Um, because it's a lot of bullshit. People just spot a lot of bullshit. Yeah. Um, 
So having as many followers as I have, like, it, it grew organically from, like, because in 2014, I think, Kim, when we connected, I probably had, like, 800 or 900 followers, you know, because I wasn't tweeting that often. And then I started tweeting a lot more. Masculinity so Fragile happened. I went to academic conferences. And all of a sudden, I went from, like, 800 followers to 45,000. Um, who, who, yeah, which is, it's a very strange thing because the other thing about that too is sometimes I can get more traction on activism and organizing related things and then sometimes that gets completely ignored, right? But then they love yeah. the funny tweets. So it's like a, it's a, it's a weird thing to have that capital, the social capital, but not mm -hmm. be able to always wield it in the ways that like might be beneficial to other people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you started the hashtag, because um, I, I want to kind of go back to that just a little bit to, to clarify, um, in part to defend black women, but not just black women, also trans people as well, um, right? Correct, yeah, because the thing about masculinity is that it harms everyone involved, which includes the people who are who are wielding it right the people who are weaponizing it and, and usually that's men but not exclusively um but that specifically harms women right that harms trans people whether they identify as, as women or not and it harms queer people right um it even harms like disabled people anybody who's like historically marginalized these ideas of masculinity and, and how we're supposed to act in, in public and private are really really harmful um and a friend asked me the other day about like healthy masculinity. Now we were talking about it, and essentially, like healthy masculinity is being a good person, right? Like any <laughs> right. any kind of any kind of masculinity that is rooted in being um, uh, specifically. So one of the things, thank you for bringing that up, Kim. One of the cases that I was talking about are how trans women will reveal, quote unquote, right, um, that they're trans, and then because of that they get murdered, right? Or they mm -hmm. get physically abused. And so it becomes this thing of, I didn't know you're trans, you should have told me this justifies my, my harm to you. And it's all a bunch of violence, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when we think about the ways that people, um, the ways in which, as academics say, um, when we think about how, how people, you know, um, harm trans folks, it, it's, it's disgusting, you know, and this was at the, this was right when, um, when I was tweeting, it was right when the, the numbers were being publicized higher and, and in terms of trans women of color in particular being murdered, um, generally by trans, by, by cis men of color. Um, so it was even as a black person, right, it hits harder. Um, like any violence sucks and it's a particular type of sucks when it's like, oh, like this is my own folk, right? You know what I mean? That are committing this violence against my own folk again. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that up, Kim. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for um, thank you for the work that you did around that. And I, I remember, I mean, I can't believe it was four years ago now or five years ago, actually. I'm like, right. hey, what am I saying? It's not it's 2015. That's like seems forever ago. We're talking about shifting dialogues. We're talking about work that you've done, you know, now four or five, six years ago. Um, and one of the things that I really appreciated that I came across in, in your writing is sort of your reflections on um, the development of your own consciousness and the experience of developing consciousness in terms of your relationships with other people and, uh, you know, separation from, uh, you know, relationships because of a developing consciousness, how you can't go back uh, when you're developing consciousness, the constant barrage of attacks uh, that you'll get from people you know, who may want to, I guess, for example, ridicule you uh, for your consciousness. Um, and I, I noticed that uh, one of the pieces that you wrote sort of reflecting on your own developing consciousness was, uh, I think it was from around 2016. Um, and, you know, that's at, at this point, uh, kind of like Kim was saying, it's almost a ancient history uh, in a way. And I, I guess I was just wondering you know, now that four years have passed since that you've written about some of those things about your own observations with developing consciousness, um, you know, are there any additional reflections that you have now here in 2020 with the experiences you've had since the 20 teens and where the world is at now? Um, you know, do you think that uh, there's more or less of an accepting culture around raising consciousness in any way that's notable? It's a, it's a very broad and sort of ethereal question, but I just wanted to see if maybe you had anything that you wanted to talk about, uh, about the experience of developing consciousness on a lot of these issues. Yeah, that's a really good question, Brian. Um, 
when I applied to the, the grad schools that I applied to, the programs, um, I was originally going to apply to sociology and Africana studies, and ultimately as a strategic choice, um, and Africana studies, depending on where you go, is called Black studies or African American studies or whatever else. But um, it was a strategic choice to apply for sociology, and um, and I don't regret that decision. But in regards to consciousness, it's um it's a it's a wild thing because um, as you said, right, you can't go back, you can't turn it off, and um, I'm at a point now where it. I think I spoke about this and I wrote about it in like the personal, personal and political, I forget the titles of my own work. Um, I think the personal political, uh, like growth of black consciousness or something. Right. And that I spoke about the loneliness that I've experienced. Um, right. And that's like a very real thing. And it's, I think, I think four years later, right. Um, one of the things that I've really thought about is like how, how vile a place like Twitter can be right and how um foul the internet can be but also how that's like one of the few places where you connect with like-minded people so mm -hmm. kim and i have only met in person like three times but have like try or like not met but seen each other in person like three times and it's usually been around conferences right around like organizing around mm -hmm. anti-prison stuff around abolition stuff um so kim is like a comrade and also Kim is like someone who at one point we were like, yeah, let's get together when I was living in SoCal. And it never happened, not because of Kim or because of me, but because of like life, right? Mm -hmm. um, bigger things. And it just reminds me that like a lot of the work um, can be super isolating because even looking at the, the, and I don't really, you know, want to get too much into an election conversation, but right, it's, it's March, it's 2020. And even looking at the folks who are talking about Biden and talking about Warren in terms of like voting for them, um, are people who like before I had different opinions on and now whether I want to or not, I've had to change some of my opinions on right because mm -hmm. they're they're not even critical of their own candidates let alone somebody like i voted for bernie but i'm super critical of him and mm -hmm. this whole electoral process um and seeing people like falling into this cult of personality has been really disappointing because it's like what where are your personal lines where do you draw them where am i personally anthony like doing too much right um and generally, I'm somebody who doesn't go online and drag people and, and do all that. Not to say I haven't, right? But generally, that's just not how I operate. Um, that being said, it's, it's such a weird thing to have gone through all of this and then come out and, and wonder, like, what is it for? And what mm -hmm. are we doing? And, and there are reasons, right? Like, organizing's happening. Um, the prison strikes that happened recently were phenomenal, right? Uh, the backlash since then has been really distressing. Um, doing work inside prisons and juvenile halls is really important and is happening on a broader scale. And then to your original question, Brian, I do think that there's a broader culture of like it moved from like quote unquote getting woke right um right. which was um, popular within the, the black community as a term and then got bigger and got overused and is a mess but it went from that to like now there's a certain baseline expectation among a certain group of people right but that doesn't mean that like when i'm engaging with family members um there's a certain projection onto me because i'm a phd student right mm -hmm. um because i'm in academia because of all these things that actually have a lot less to do with academia because academia if anything has tried to make me more right wing right um, and a lot more to do with like me personally spending a lot of time on Twitter and a lot of time reading books and a lot of time in the library. Um, so it's a it's a it's a very funny thing because it, there are there are disconnections, right? And I'm fine with losing a lot of the friendships that I had before. Um, that's like a that's that's just this reality because if someone you know, I've tweeted a lot of things, but essentially if someone is supporting a candidate, if someone is supporting policies, if someone's supporting these things that are ultimately harmful to you, people who look like you, or people who don't look like you or aren't you, but you care about because they're humans, right? Like, those are people that I don't need surrounding me in my life. Those are people who I don't need um, all up in my business. Mm -hmm. And again, right, the, the what's, what's hard is that means is like, how many people do you really have, right? Like, how many, like, Brian, you know, Kim, like y'all got each other and then you have a small network and it's not like you need a lot of people but it does become yeah. a very like it becomes a very isolating thing when like i'll see certain things and i go to tweet something and i'm like you know what this is gonna isolate so many people and like harm like not actually harm but um 
hurt their feelings, which I'm okay right. with doing, but like in a way that like, is it worth it? Like, what am I doing this for? Like I could go be super critical about this, this or that, but what is the end goal? And so I've, I've over the years, I have spoken less, uh, or I've tried to speak less. I've tried to like listen more and I've tried to like catch myself because I also, one of the things is like, I feel like consciousness is this process, right? That people go through and you see it with like a lot of people who at one point were political prisoners like Angela Davis or Malcolm X or, uh, you know what I mean? Antonio Gramsci or other folks, right? You see it where people get to this point of knowing and in that point of knowing, they also know that they don't know shit, right? Right, um, totally. And they also have to like, because at one point I was like, it was a it was a point where I was like basically screaming at people, like, right? Not actually, but that's what it felt like to people where it's like, totally. what the fuck? Wake up, you know what I mean? Open your eyes, like, like, and not on like some hotep stuff, but like on some like, you know, like, I just like, <laughs> I couldn't believe that like people were not paying attention to this, this and this, right? Yet a year ago, I was not, right? And so I've calmed down in those like, you know, in the, the binary thinking of like, well, if you're not talking about this, then you don't care about it. That being said, yeah. I also don't see in people's analysis a lot of these things that we're talking about. And so I'm kind of like, where do I want to put my energy? So my energy is shifted. But at the end of the day, the, the loneliness, the isolation, the alienation is very, very real. Um, and I'm like looking to my right and to my right, I have like all these books, right? Like, because I was writing my perspectives and I've been reading. So I see like writing ethnographic field notes, Solitary by Albert Woodfox, City of Inmates, Captain Nation, and all these things. And and I say that not as like a flex or to floss, but I say that because in reading these, I also have to find a lot of joy and a lot of love because it's depressing when you recognize how fucked up our country is and how yeah. fucked up this world is, right? I feel very similarly to how I felt before. Um, the difference mm-hmm. is that, like, I'm, I'm, uh, I've checked myself, I've grounded myself a little bit more, and then I'm trying to find ways to not lose myself because the, you know, ignorance is bliss is like a real ass thing. Because yeah. like when I didn't know about some of these things, I was able to go about and live my day and be fine. And now I'm like, even like I'm a small example. I'm a pescatarian, right? I don't, uh, I eat fish, um, but I don't in seafood, but I don't eat meat. But even in doing that, like I, I'll cook quinoa and think about how quinoa is farmed, right, and harvested, and how even mm-hmm. if we all went vegan, it doesn't actually matter because of the farm workers who are being um, completely disadvantaged and taken advantage of, and all. The, you know what I mean? It becomes these things where it's like, Anthony, shut the fuck up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know. yeah. And so there's a balance no, between like, knowing everything's wrong, but also being like, you know, like you have to get through your day. You have to like be able to make this phone call. You have to, you have to be able to be a researcher and, and, or I rather, I have to be able to be a researcher in my daily life so that I can get my stipend so I can pay my bills. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, I can be this, have all these thoughts, but I also need to chill. And so like yeah. I, I vacillate in between both sides of the spectrum um, of mm-hmm. like very practical and very like, let's burn all this shit down right now, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> which so, is like, you know, and, and I'm 30. And so like at a certain point, I'm like, well, okay, so what, what should I be doing at my life? And then there's a the morning even of like, where I thought I would be at like 15 or okay. 30 when I was like 15 versus where I am now. And the reality that like some of that is Anthony and then most of that is like capitalism, right? So like it doesn't make sense for me to own a home in the Bay Area at 30. Like that's just who? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Like, My God. Like, when you, like, figure, if you figure that one out, let me know. Yeah, you same. Know, listen, you know, <laughs> and like the thing is like I thought I'd have kids by now and I'm glad that I don't for a variety of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. But that's a weird thing to recognize like, oh, my mom doesn't have any grandkids. And even though we're not currently speaking, like I think about a lot of the things that are going on in her life and even the fact that we're not speaking which isn't related to academia it's related to personal issues um but it's just like damn like I did not know that at 30 this is where my life would be and I look a lot I look at a lot of my like organizer friends um and activist friends and I like just want us to like chill sometimes I want us to take a break I want us to breathe but also when we don't do this work it we just keep going back so many steps because even as we do this work, we're going back because there's so many people working, so many people in systems working against us. Um, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. I thought that was, you know, crystal clear. And I, um, everything you said uh, resonated with me, especially the, the isolation piece. And, you know, I think that uh, at least for me, when I was living in, uh, in LA, uh, I definitely felt that like I, I was, 
there. I was living with my daughter um, and whatnot, but we we were always working. And when I wasn't working, she was always at work or traveling, right? So it's like, and LA is really spread out. Um, so it's hard to get to places and you have to contend with traffic. <laughs> so it was yeah. like, you know, that's just, such a real thing. Yeah. And that's such a real thing in terms of, you know, choosing, okay, are you going to go meet someone for dinner? Because it might take you three hours, you know, to get there and back. And, you know, it's like, do you have that? Do you have five hours in a day, you know, to go to dinner just to hang out? Like, it, it's, it's just bizarre. So I found, you know, like all of the things you were saying around isolation, um, were are really like hitting home for me. Um, and I came back, you know, came back to Philly and, um, you know, it still haven't quite plugged in to that community, but I think the thing that you pointed out at the beginning, talking about online communities was really key and has been really key for me. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that, you know, I stepped back, I, I stepped back in, uh, was it 2016? um around 2016 2017 um really like basically don't do anything on twitter anymore like i mm -hmm. i post uh our episodes and whatever but these long like you know twitter rants that i used to go on it, like i just i had to stop because it just felt like you're screaming into a voice you know and while i i get it like it, it twitter is a fantastic tool it was great for organizing and all of these things but at the mm -hmm, same time mm -hmm. it was taking a tremendous emotional toll on me in terms of having to constantly or feeling like i had to constantly post stuff right or yeah. you had to have mm -hmm. a hot take on every fucking thing mm -hmm. that was happening and i'm like mm -hmm. no i can't i i can't do yeah. that like there there had to be other things that were going on and I just put a, put a pause button on that. And I was like, and I haven't gone back, you know, and I don't miss it for a lot of reasons. Like I appreciate that other folks are there and are, you know, continuing to do that. But now I, like I logged on to Twitter a couple of times in, in the past week over the coronavirus and, uh, you know, school closures and things like that. that mm -hmm, you know, to mm -hmm. attack me. And I'm like, I don't even know how to use it anymore. <laughs> 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 the platform looks completely different. The interface is completely different. I'm like, who, what is, oh my God, forget it. It's uh, like, you know, I'm leaving this alone. And then I saw all this shitty ass tweets, you know, and I'm like, oh, this is part of why I left. And I, yep. I could feel, I could feel myself like developing this anxiety, you know, just in a few minutes that I was there. And I said, nope. I need to, you yep. know, leave that alone. And, you know, yep. even though I'm in the fucking sewer, you know, over on Facebook and, you know, it's like, <laughs> crazy. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, you know, but I, yeah. I, I get it. I get it. And I feel like the, you know, what you were talking about in terms of, you know, things like uh, reading, like reading really has been, you know, a bomb for me. Like it just, it, it's it's changed a lot of things and not that I wasn't reading before but you know I spent a long time in grad school and then was doing a lot of organizing and stuff like that and you know my sons went to prison and blah 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 and you know I didn't want to read shit for a long time like I you know read articles and whatever but you know reading like yes. whole books seemed yes. like really fucking overwhelming you know so I needed things that were shorter and you know not always not always heavy Right. So now I've been able to go back and read a lot of, you know, a lot of things, particularly Brian and I've been doing a lot of work on uh, TJ and doing a lot of uh, reading on transformative justice and whatnot. And that has been so. Funny. Oh, my God. So good for me um, on so many different levels. And I mean, it's, it's, I'm in a different place now because last year it was like it was dark days last year. This mm -hmm. is. Like I, I've turned a corner. So it's like all of the things that you're talking about. And, you know, I'm like, I'll be 52 this year. So if you're having that experience at 30 and it's like, I'm glad you have the tools and access and know how, and you've gotten plugged in super early on in your life. I'm trying. I am trying. No, really. It's like, it's just because I, I, I feel like I came to that stuff way late. 
you know, and and this is something that I continue to thematize because, you know, I'm, I'm around folks who are, you know, all ages, my age, older, younger, whatever, and I often hear, you know, people my age or older say that, oh, well, you know, I'm too old for this. And I'm like, you're alive. Like, you're alive. <laughs> yeah. You're too old to think, to be involved, to change your mind. Like, there's some shit that you might have to give up. You know, there's some things that you need to change, you know, or might need to change. It's like, you're, you're here. Like, what are you going to do with your time that's here, you know? And what do you want to yeah. attend to? Like, what do you want to attend to? I, I don't want to attend to angry people on the fucking internet. Like, you know, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I wanted to ask you sort of another one of these gigantic questions, uh, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, and yeah. It pertains to another sort of like theme that I noticed in your work when I was preparing for today. Um, I wanted to talk about black joy and its space uh, and how, like how it fits into liberation struggles. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've talked about joy in general and black joy on this show. Um, usually when it comes to art within prisons, I think is probably the place where it comes up the most and how that is sort of policed and controlled and, and sort of the role that it can play. Um, you know, you've written about how, uh, you know, in your own life, how bringing someone else joy can help you, quote, combat the days when I cannot get out of bed. You've written about how uh, mm-hmm. as well, like, um, to quote you again, like, we must never stop sharing black joy, especially during trying times. We cannot survive any other way. I wanted you to, to maybe talk a little bit more about, uh, in your mind, you know, how black joy fits uh, within liberation, sorry, liberation struggles, uh, where there's so much personal and collective trauma in these spaces. Um, you know, I think uh, it'd be valuable to have your insights on the relationship between Black trauma and Black joy in movements for liberation, how they're bound up in one another. Um, because as you've touched upon, you know, like experience or expressing that joy is sometimes met with feelings of shame or regret or, regret, or you know, you feel like it has to be tempered in one way or another. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to, to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um... It's funny to hear your own work back. I was like trying to, I couldn't sleep last night. It was like 3 a.m. and I was trying to write and I got like three paragraphs in and I was like, I don't like this. (laughs) Um, And I used to like, I used to go, I was working for the Black Organizing Project in 2016 to 2017 and I was working in East Oakland doing door knocking and all these other things. And I would like come home after work and I'd spend time on Twitter and talk to my housemates and I would end up writing, right? Um, I'd like always had things to write about and it would like just flow out of me. And now, like, something about being in academia, it takes the joy out of uh, writing. Not something. It's, like, mm-hmm. systemic. Um, it's, like, the way it's built. It takes the joy out of writing, out of, out of reading. And um, it, hearing back my own work, you know, like, that piece, um, I think that's my Hazlitt piece um, mm-hmm. from 2015 or 2016. Um, but that, like, hearing that back just reminds me of, um, so I was just, not just months ago, I was on Hella Black, the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And we talked about Black Joy. And it reminded me of like, I, you know, I've been organizing with Delincey and Blake, the the two hosts of Hella Black. And it was like a really good reminder of, of how much I now personally don't even give myself that, right? Um, I find it in places, but like, I, I, some, I, I've gotten to a point where I'm like, I don't feel like doing anything or seeing anyone a lot of the time, right? Like, not just like, because COVID-19 right now, like, in general, I'm just like, no, I like don't want to go places. I don't want to do things. I mostly want to like lay, you know, which granted, I've like loved laying and sleeping for most of my life, but like, it's it's gotten um, worse. And that also means that like, I'm kind of stewing in my own trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then if I spend more time on Twitter, we've moved away from the, the period where we're like shoving violence, like we're shoving dead black people and, and murdered black people into each other's faces, right? Although some people still traffic in that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're past that, that era, but we are still in an era where like, it, we're still in a, we're, we still live in an anti-black ass world where mm-hmm. that is the norm in terms of like, black violence is still currency, black violence is still what we're watching on TV. And um, I, I, it's hard. I mean, like, Black, it's it's wild that, like, my, my, 
theoretical and practical uh, leanings toward Black joy come from like my, my experiences with Black trauma. And I, I find that um, a friend of mine, Jason Ferguson, at one point said, um, we were talking about being queer and being Black and all these other things. And he was talking about, well, the, the pride in me, and it's such a basic idea, but I remember it like shifting my, my mind. He's like, the, I, the idea that we have pride in being Black and being queer comes from the fact that we were shamed for it, right? And mm-hmm. so then now we're repurposing that shame into pride. Um, but before we just were, right? Like Black right. Joy just was a thing. It didn't have to be, um, we didn't have to write articles about it and we didn't have to celebrate it in, in different ways. Um, and, and that's, it's wild to me now that like that's something like I have to consciously think about. And, and not to say that, you know, I, other people never did, right? Because we definitely, we've always been in trying times. They just look mm-hmm. different. Even mm-hmm. if we were in an all Black country, even if we were in an all Black whatever, right? Um, so it's a, your question about black, black joy and Black trauma, they exist at the same time. They have to exist at the same time because trauma is unavoidable. And then joy um, doesn't have to happen, right? So trauma does happen in the world that we live in. Joy doesn't have to happen, which is why I think we have to take an mm-hmm. orientation toward it of like cultivating it, right? Um, I think it can naturally happen, but it, it, it does naturally happen rather. It's just we don't always tune into it. We don't always uh appreciate it and we don't mm-hmm. always um receive it for what it is right because um you know before we started recording i was telling y'all i was a little down earlier and it's easier for me in in the current place we live in now and where i am personally in my life it's easier for me to gravitate toward the negative news toward what's not going right instead of like looking at you know what i mean um black people just chilling and enjoying themselves and what that can mean and how important that is right because at the end of the day all these systems have existed for a long time all these like interlocking systems of oppression and domination have existed and the only way that um we can survive like i'm looking right now at pleasure activism right a book that i bought slash someone bought for me like we bought together and um I opened so in it the I don't have you read it Brian no no I'm not familiar so the first um pleasure activism is by Adrian Marie Brown and um the first like chapter the introduction says like it's about pleasure it's about politics it's about fucking it's about all these different things Mm -hmm. and the first like introduction or chapter or whatever is like okay so before you start uh before you start this book and before you start each chapter masturbate right and i was like uh, and she was like you should really listen to this advice i know it may sound ridiculous but do it right because it's about pleasure and like being purposeful with pleasure so i was like okay you know i was like i'm gonna listen so then i masturbated right and Mm -hmm. then um which may be tmi but also not given what we're talking about um and then afterwards I fell the fuck asleep. And so, like, I didn't actually read this book, right? Pleasure <laughs> I think um, I joined conversation back in the Yeah. <laughs> I love the time to come back. Him. Yeah, seriously. Um, I was talking about how, like, I read Pleasure Activism. They tell you to masturbate before each chapter, right? For pleasure, mm-hmm. for joy. And I did, and then I fell asleep. And, and that's not a bad thing, it's great, right? And, you know, I, I, my body was like, release the endorphins, release the oxytocin. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I'm looking at pleasure activism and we cannot exist without this joy. And earlier today, I just tweeted that like, entertainment is particularly important in moments like this. Because yep. I used to even like, you know, I remember when, there's a lot of guilt around all these things, right? And there's even guilt around taking a day off or pleasure or anything like that. And so I remember like something bad would happen and I'd be afraid to tweet something funny or say something funny or text something right to a friend. And then I'm like, no, because like all this shit coexists at the same time. And so like right now, as we're talking about like the importance of organizing and black joy and black resistance and black trauma, there's also people out here just fucking like, I mean, literally just fucking Mm -hmm. and enjoying themselves. And that's not a bad thing. Like that's not a thing where it's like, well, why are you having that pleasure? What the hell are we what the hell are we fighting for if it's not so that people can just fucking enjoy themselves? Like, what are we exactly. fighting for? Just so that we can be, exactly. you know, like, what? I, I, I just don't get it, you know? And it's like, yeah. we've had, um, I have the book on my shelf. I haven't, um, I haven't had time to read it, to be honest. So um, both of us, both yeah, of us. Like, yeah, it's, it's just definitely, uh, you know, an important, an important thing, uh, not just in terms of, you know, sexual pleasure, but also in terms of 
you know, all of the other things that bring people joy that people tend to look down on. And uh, I know I I was having this conversation with one of my sons, and I was saying, you know, that notions of leisure and, you know, like time off and things like that um, are viewed as suspect for some people, right? And then mm-hmm. there's a class of people for whom that's not a problem. Like we can look at rich people on Instagram traveling all over the world and, you know, sitting on their $500 billion yachts and we're like, well, they earned it. And the rest of us are like, if we take, a, you know, a day off, it's like people feel like they have to apologize, right. you know, for like, oh, I'm indulging or, you know, I'm treating myself. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, no, mm-hmm. like we need to, we need to unlearn that shit. And stop it. Like, you know, if I'm painting or whatever and I spend the whole fucking day painting, I'm painting one because that shit is saving lives, including my own. Um, mm-hmm, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but it's also, it makes me fucking happy. And it's like, I need to, I need to have, a, you know, not even a touchstone. I need to have these things that bring me joy in my life all of the time while I'm continuing to do this work. Because otherwise, what the fuck am I doing all this work for? Like, Mm -hmm. just to keep working? Like, that's, we we haven't, you know, you don't have a a critique of capitalism if you're still stuck on, well, we need to, you know, we need to feel bad about taking time off or feeling good about ourselves, like physically, mentally, emotionally, all these things. (laughs) <laughs> that captures a lot of a lot of it, Brian, in the sense that too, I've mm-hmm. even had to change my frame of mind, right? So I have a tattoo on my arm. Um, it's a quote by Francis Beale that I, I shortened, right? And I got it in 2017. Um, it says, "To die for the revolution is a one-shot deal. To live for the revolution means changing our day-to-day life patterns." Um, mm-hmm. I cut out a section which uh, meant it said means taking on the more difficult commitment of changing our day-to-day life patterns, right? But the idea is like a lot of a lot of where I was working from when I first got involved in like movement work was um, well if I'm taking time if I'm taking care of of myself it's so that I can better serve uh, the community and do all these other things right and it's like at the end of the day like you we have to we have to be in a mindset of like you just need to take care of yourself period right yeah. and like there's other things right it serves you it serves the community but like. If you don't take care of yourself, if I die, right, you know what I mean? Because I'm not, I'm not out here taking care of myself. I die at 30, 35 because I'm stressed out, right? Like, what is that? What good does that do, right? Like, I was super productive for a few years, but if I could live to, uh, well, I'm not trying to live to like 80, but who knows? Maybe, I, maybe at some point I want to. But say mm-hmm. I can live to 60, right? Like, say, say that's that's mm-hmm. the goal, right? That could be what I want. And 60 is young, I recognize, but Black people yeah. would die earlier for a, a variety of reasons. Um, mm-hmm. but, but if I could live, you know, to 60, just cause I want to right? not 60 so that I can be dedicated to the struggle that whole time. Like that's the, the orientation we need to come from. And it's like, we can add on to that. And while I'm living, I can do these other things. But at the end of the day, like we have to really prioritize ourselves in ways that a lot of the people doing this work, um, are not good at doing. And then yep. if we are good at doing it, right, it, it comes from a place of, it comes from places that I think that, like, it comes from being challenged, it comes from people holding us accountable, and it comes from a lot of difficult struggle, and I find that the people who are most willing to do that, right, are the people who've already, like, hit a rock bottom, right? It's like, you know, Kim, I'm sure that you took your break, you know, back in 2015, or whenever you did, and that wasn't just because you wanted to take a break, there was probably something in your life that was like, Kim, you need to sit the fuck down, right? And you're like, oh, you know what? Actually, I do. My my body basically said enough, and I was having, you know, like I'd, I'd had three surgeries back to back in, from like 2013, so between 2013 and 2015, um, you know, so it's like three surgeries at my age was a lot, you know, and they were they weren't minor surgeries either, you know, so it's like yeah. it my, it, you know, that was, you know, on top of defending my dissertation in 2013, my son's both being arrested and, you know, having to go through all of that um, in 2011, you know, um, Mm -hmm. suing my employer, all of this stuff. So all of those things kind of, you know, came together at a certain time. And then I'm doing all of this other, you know, like organizing work and stuff. And my body was like enough, you know, and I had to really like take inventory because 
there wasn't a community. Communities like more, more, more. Are you coming to this meeting? Are you showing up to this thing? Mm-hmm. Can you write mm-hmm. something, you know, and all this stuff? And it's like, well, we have work to do. And I'm like, what about fucking rest so that we don't fucking die of a heart attack mm-hmm. or whatever? You know, like, it, 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 that whole kind of, like, boss up and keep grinding bullshit um, needs to stop, you know? Mm-hmm. And Brian and I have had this conversation, I don't know, a thousand times. <laughs> what I call carceral trauma, you know, and the effects of carceral trauma, particularly on, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. on women uh, and women who provide, you know, support for people inside, you know, mm-hmm. it's like having, okay. having one son inside is a lot. Having two sons on the inside is just, you know, you can't, you can't even imagine. Right. So yeah. It, yeah. it's not even, you know, like, I, I, it wasn't a coincidence to me that my body, on top of all these things that were going on, um, it was just starting to give out in, like, very real ways. I, you know, was having pains that no one could fucking diagnose for the longest time. And I'm like, you know, got shuffled around from one specialist to another. I had to leave the fucking country to have someone say, you have fibromyalgia. Which, you know, I'm like, okay, I have a diagnosis and now, you know, I could get a treatment plan and things like that. But then Mm -hmm. I'm like, is this really, you know, like, is that what's going on or is it coming from somewhere else? It's like, you know, um, fibro is really fucked up if, you know, not familiar. Um, Yeah, I am. All of the fucking time. Yeah. You know, but I'm thinking. And many doctors don't even recognize it as an actual quote unquote Mm -hmm. diagnosis. Exactly, and especially not for Black women because it presents as it presents as other things. I was being told, well, you had a hysterectomy. Well, you're a certain age. Well, you know, it could be this. Well, it could be that. Mm -hmm. And you know, they were trying all kinds of things, and I'm like, I literally felt like a little lab rat, and they had no idea. And meanwhile, I couldn't get the fuck out of bed for weeks. Like when I say weeks. I spent, you know, almost three years, like, not being able to do shit. That included work, you know. So yep. it was, yep. where's, where's community at those times? Because I can take care of myself only up to a certain point, right? So self-care is great. But when your self-care is rooted in, you know, a kind of individualistic and capitalistic, you know, concept of you just take care of you and that's it. It's like, well, that falls short because I needed people and I, you know, was lucky that I had a couple of people um, that could provide, you know, financial support and fill in the gaps. And that's real. And that's real because I could have very easily ended up on the street. Very easily. Mm -hmm. You know, that's Mm -hmm. not something that we talk about. We, We basically show up and, you know, pretend that everything's okay at these meetings. And people, you know, show up at conferences and do all kinds of things. And when you start talking to people, like really fucking talking to people, you know, it's like, and you hear, oh, well, you know, I'm struggling with housing right now. I don't know where I'm going to be. Or I just had this thing and I'm, you know, I'm just trying to get a, a few dollars to get this done. And it's like, that's what the fuck is going on. Where is that conversation at all of these, you know, bougie ass conferences? Did I just mm-hmm. say that? That's the reality, right? And it like that, like you telling me all of that, right? And Brian, I'm sure you knew most of this, right? Like it's, we should never have to get to that point for us to be like, oh yeah, let's chill a little bit, right? And for yep. the, like the last two and a half years since I've been in grad school, I haven't been organizing. I felt a lot of guilt, like, well, I haven't been physically on the ground doing a lot of actions, going to meetings. I've been doing other organizing. But I have felt like I'm contributing less to the movement and all these things. And I saw all this guilt. And it's like, no, do what you, like, we need a balance between, like, challenging people to do more and also recognizing that sometimes you can do nothing, right? And that's, that's right. it. And, right. and that's you're how doing, you're contributing to doing a lot. Like, I mean, it's like exactly. having, having, you know, a, another, you know, Black person with their PhD who can, you know, articulate the kind of problems that are happening present this stuff in ways that are really useful that other people can draw from and what that that's the work that's the work that you're doing like we can't say well anthony you need to be doing more 
Like, what, mm-hmm. how much more can one person really be expected to do? Like, you know, yeah. we, we yeah. need to kind of, you know, pull back our notions. And, and I get it. I mean, there, there are folks who it just seems like they're everywhere. They show up and they're doing all the fucking things. And I'm like, how? Like, how? Some yeah. days for me, you know, especially last year, last year was rough. Like, I haven't, you know, yeah. run enough saying we're going to do a, an episode on this and, you know, this is a hint of what's to come. But, you know, it's like last year I spent probably nine months not being able to leave my house because I was either in physical pain or such physical pain that it was impossible most days for me to get out of bed. Um, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Or two, I also had, you know, a, either, you know, my my illness, including really bad food allergies, um, would flare up, which caused all kinds of other physical problems. And I was just like, I couldn't do anything. Like, so I literally did very little. I mean, I, in retrospect, I look back and I'm like, well, I, I I'm sure you did a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, it was just like, like, I didn't leave my house, you know, to go, like, yeah. I couldn't have gone to the vet last year, just like I am now and been like, oh, I'm going to jump off the call and come back on. That would have been like, oh, wait, that's going to require a mm-hmm. level of coordination and energy that I just don't have. Um, mm-hmm. I would have canceled. I would have just said, Brian, I can't do it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like either you take, you know, take the interview or, um, or we just cancel it altogether. And that's why. You know, that's why we didn't put out a lot of stuff last year. But I that's just, the thing, right? Is like you're doing, like we do, even if the thing is, and I, I've, I'm having trouble internalizing this for myself, but with other people, I believe that it doesn't matter if you do shit, right? Like you still are a human being. You still deserve, you know what I mean? Love and exactly. care and support and housing. So like, even if you didn't leave your house at all and didn't do anything, right? Like you didn't do zero, zero. The most you did was eat because you knew you had to eat. You didn't bathe. You didn't do anything else. You still matter, right? And you still are deserving yep. of care. And it's like, wow, because right now you're doing a podcast, right? And you're uh, picking up your cat, right? And then Brian, uh, I'm sure you're doing this interview and in the background, you might be either thinking about something or doing something else. And if you're not, then after this, you have something else. And it's just like, it's wild because I, I think of, I think one of the good things about Twitter is it exposes you to like the reality for many people. Um, like in a way that like, if you're walking on the street, you see houses for homeless people, but it's, it's different. Um, I think many people, one, don't look them in the eyes, right? But two, there's a way that you can avoid it. With Twitter, depending on who you're following, mm-hmm. every day you see multiple requests for somebody who's like, hey, can I get $5 for Uber yeah. to get to the store? Like, you see, like, the, the black trans funds, you know what I mean? The black travel trans mm-hmm. funds that trans women can get safely where they need to go. And even, yeah. like, Barbara Smith, right? Like, the Barbara Smith has a caring circle um, where, like, she has donors giving her money every month, right? So that because she's not out here, she doesn't have a, a traditional retirement that she can live live on past 70 you know she turned 70 in 2016 so it's like when when you look at community and you look at care and you look at it those ways like I didn't talk about this um but uh well two things one y'all had to do the research like to even come into this like you know Brian when you were off the call like quoted my own work to me right and like that is one meaningful and impactful and beautiful and two takes the work of like you doing it finding quotes figuring out what we're going to talk about and then the other thing too is that like you have to think about how do we how do we engage in this work as a community together and like i remember at the conference you and i saw each other at mumi the making and unmaking uh mass incarceration when we saw each other kim i remember at one point um mariam kaba was talking about how like even just talking to people about the fact that you volunteer inside prisons or you do this is important and it reminds me like that like one the work is important but two there's a certain amount of like you either get people who are really boastful and often aren't really doing the work, and then you get people who are doing the work but don't talk about it. But it's like for yep. a long time I wasn't talking about the volunteering I was doing inside because like I was like, why would I talk about that? Like it makes it about me and all these other things. But I recognize by talking about it at least like once a month, that encourages more people to write to people who are incarcerated. It encourages right. more people yep. to volunteer. And just by doing that already, like the, the risk and the work continues out broader. Um, and again, we can't always focus on quote unquote the work, but if that is a goal of ours, right, in addition to 
the joy, right? Which sometimes back to earlier, Brian, like sometimes you have to like schedule it in. Like yeah, I have to schedule totally. like I'm having yeah. a walk with somebody at, at Lake Merritt later, right? And like that is a purposeful like, hey, I'm gonna release, I'm gonna exist, I'm gonna be, right? Just like I schedule in, you know, writing or schedule in going inside to visit people. So it's like, yeah, it's it's wild. It really is. And I think I mean it's it's, I think such, it's, a, like, it's such a big thing too because it's like what gets constant as the work you know it's like um oftentimes it's like what's visible and there's a lot of yeah. stuff that happens um outside of you know twitter outside of you know social media um offline and things like that that you know i i simply just don't talk about not because i'm opposed to talking about them um, but because I really just don't have the energy, as I, you know, been saying lately, um, to develop a, you know, fucking sociological analysis of the thing that I'm experiencing while I'm experiencing it and then having to crystallize this and share this, you know, information, disseminate it so that other people can consume it as well. And I'm like, look, yep. I just, some days I just need to go and show up at the fucking prison and that's what it's going to be. You know, yep. it's like if yep. some days I just take, you know, take calls or do whatever needs to be done for whoever needs the doing, including myself, and that's what it's going to be. And it's not always to, you know, it's not a photo op. It's not a this, that, and, you know, and I get it. Visibility matters, but also that, you know, I, I, I've resisted more and more having to put everything that I do um, out there for the world. You know, oh yeah, I, yeah. Does that make sense? Like, I, I'm not makes trying a lot to of on people yeah. that you know that are doing that. Um, and I, I do it myself. It's just that you know, some days it's just like this is what I have the energy for, and I can't also be the social media manager for my own life in everything, <laughs> in all the things. Like, there's yeah. like there's a lot that we're expecting people to do. Um who are working in this space and I'm always, you know, I'm always asking people like, how are you? You know, and when I get the canned answer, depending on who it is, you know, if I have a relationship with them, I'm like, no, I mean, like, really, how are you? Like, I'm just checking in to see, you know, how you're doing. I mm -hmm. like, we know each other, you know, and it's like, you can tell me like for real. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like rather than just yeah. kind of assuming that people are cool. Um, because so often they're not like they're just not. Yes. Yeah. And a shout out to both y'all for the podcast, for your journalistic work, for everything, because it, it matters. Um, and I don't know how often people say thank you. I mean, I know people inside, I'm sure do. Um, but people on the outside, I think it can it when when things become like status quo, when that becomes the norm, like, well, we expect mm -hmm. him to do this. We expect Brian to do that. It's like, then you don't always appreciate it. So um, public shout outs to both of y'all for, for doing you. the work that you do, because it, cause it matters. It really, really does. And I know that, you know, when I go inside, even just the act of going inside, like I, I used to undermine it for myself. Um, but like, every time I go, one of the men I speak to, you know, usually thanks me just for coming in because like some of these, you know, one of these dudes has been in there since he was 18, you know what I mean? And he is now, I want to say he's 36 or 38 or something. You know what I mean? And so as someone who's 30 and who's never been incarcerated, I'm like, damn, you know, and like my cousin in the past, he was, you know, he was inside and outside for more than half of his life. And it's like, it, even the little acts of going inside, it's not enough, it's not everything, but it matters, right? And all those little acts matter. And so, as you said, Kim, like a lot of the, the work, right, is not visible. Uh, sometimes it's preparing to, the work is the preparing to do it. Sometimes it's the letter writing, sometimes it's these other things. And so like, I, I'm really grateful for the work that y'all do and the consciousness raising that you do. Um, and hopefully when people hear these episodes and hear y'all being real, they also recognize that some of that's going to come with the fuck shit, which is sadness, uh, alienation, mm -hmm. depression. But also, uh -huh. you don't have to let that be your whole life um, uh -huh. because that's not that's not it. Like that yeah. that's not it, and it can't be it. And those who are those who are fighting for, including ourselves, don't usually want us to be like that. Like if the men inside knew like the amount of stress I was experiencing, secondhand stress and all this, they'd be like, shut the fuck up. Like you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> 
you you know because it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be that and so like finding ways to cope with that um yeah. however that is for people which sometimes is not always the most healthy right like being real because like a lot of times we're doing things that are not the best for us um that's that's the world we live in right and so trying to find healthier ways is important um and finding well, I mean, ways period is important coping of you know it's like not just trying to find those those healthier ways but we're also the the onus of responsibility tends to be on most of us who are like, yep. having to create these kinds of systems of whether it's you know kind of getting um mental health you know mental health care whether it's just talking having a group that you can process with or what have you it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. within the confines of you know traditional um systems you know the medical system or whatever um like we're the ones having to create those things so that we can attend to our own care and it's like that's the level of energy that we're also putting out like we need to recognize that as well like wow yeah like we're doing we're doing the most we're doing the most and and that i see so many people um like physically like are physically just you know because i've been there and i'm there now you know and i'm starting to get i'm starting to get better i'm starting to get better um but that has been really hella stressful um not just for me but also for my sons who you know have been calling and checking in on me like four or five times a day which is also Mm -hmm. hella stressful um, but you know, they're worried that, you know, something's going to happen to me, you know, they're worried like, oh my God, she didn't, you know, she was sick all last year. Is, yeah. is she going to get better ever? Like, or is this it, you know, and they have friends who, you know, whose moms have died for various reasons, um, you know, uh, as their sons, you know, have been incarcerated, you know, it's like that, that they've lost their mother. Um, and it's, it's been the mothers. They haven't talked to me about, you know, losing all fathers or, or the men in their lives. Um, I mean, it's always, women, it's almost always the women who visit anyway, who write, who call. So that's like a very real thing. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. But no, I appreciate your work. I, I can't Same. wait to read, you know, um, the stuff that you're producing. Thank you. Well, seriously, I think it's really important work you um talked about albert woodfox um and uh i interviewed albert at the mimi conference right after he did his his book um, his book signing so we're going to share we're going to share that clip soon it's it's a short like 10 minute interview um he's so, just so yeah. generous how do you oh do my 40 God. damn years 40 yep. years 42 i want to say actually specifically yep. and then you're out here writing books and answering questions and giving like i just i can't there's so many and people it, who and, i'm just in awe and it was it. late and it was late and i'm like you know and he had to fly there and there's like you know there was no direct like flight into i mean i remember down. seeing him at millions for prisoners like right after he got out I mean, the man had been in solitary confinement for like decades, and then showing up to a march like that's that's. I'm like, yo, yeah, exactly, yeah. But we talked about, you know, um, I I won't give it away. We we talked about some things, and I I think it was a, you know, it was short. Um, it was a short but wonderful um interview, and uh, yeah, I mean, again, you know, look at there's so much to unpack there, but um, thank you. And we'll definitely. Yeah, I just wanted to say we're, you know, we're definitely going to link to some of your work, some of the articles that I was mentioning in some of my questions to you. We'll include that all in the episode notes for folks listening. Um, highly, highly, highly encourage people to seek you out. I wanted you to actually, Thank you know, you. share where people can find you and keep up with you and support you, uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing that with folks. Yeah, so I am on Twitter, Anthonese, A-N-C-H-O-K-N-E-E-S. Uh, my Instagram's private, so I don't, uh, I don't let people on there. Uh, I have a website, antjwilliams.com, A-N-T-J as in James, and then Williams. And uh, I have been posting, most of my older stuff is on Medium, Anthony, or medium.com slash at Anthonese, but I've been moving it over to Substack. So I believe that's anthonies.substack.com. 
Um, but yeah, Twitter is where I put all my stuff. My website, I don't update as often as I should, but it does have, that's the easiest place to see a bunch of my writing because Medium um, doesn't necessarily have the best interface for like going through a table of contents of sorts. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you can find me there. Uh, I was, it's wild. I'm sure some of y'all, or not some of y'all, the both of y'all probably experienced some of this. I had some like speaking things coming up this year, but both that one that was happening in April and one that was happening in July have both been canceled um, due to COVID-19, which is mm -hmm. good um, because people's health and everything. Um, but it, it's, it's been a trip to see how folks who are independent, like luckily I'm a, you know, not paid super well, but I'm a graduate student, right? So I have that income. Some people who are independent artists do not have anything else besides their like booking. So it's been rough to see that. But, um, but yeah, your question was how to reach me. That is how you can reach me. Um, and then with Substack too, you can like write directly on the articles and then I can like comment back and I have some Q&A stuff. And, and then on my website, I have my more academic work as well. Awesome. We'll link to all of that for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for yeah, being here. You. I'm like, this was amazing. I can't wait to listen back and hear the few minutes that I missed. Um, but yeah, we're... Uh, super grateful for right. for your time and for your energy yeah yeah thank y'all for having me on i really appreciate it um time energy space all the things i appreciate all of it we recorded this episode in early march just as the pandemic was gaining steam the subsequent weeks have forced us all to contend with a new reality that intensifies our vulnerability and underscores the need for organizing and collective liberation. Adrian Marie Brown reminds us that, quote, pleasure activists believe that by tapping into the potential goodness in each of us, we can generate justice and liberation, growing a healing abundance where we have been socialized to believe only scarcity exists, end quote. We'd like to thank you for listening to Beyond Prisons. If you find our work valuable, we ask that you head over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe to Beyond Prisons. You can support our work by sharing this and past episodes on social media. If you're financially able to support us, you can do so for as little as $1 per month over on Patreon at patreon.com backslash beyondprisons. We recently launched our new website, www.beyond-prisons.com. There you will find the Beyond Prisons Guide for Supporting Prisoners During the COVID-19 Crisis, including a link to a downloadable PDF in small and large print formats. There's also a section on mutual aid projects that we update frequently and a list of demands that includes a call for the immediate release of prisoners. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can drop us a line at beyondprisonspodcast at gmail.com.